Welcome to Prime Alpha's interview series, Insights from Industry Practitioners Discussing Their Journey and Their Discoveries. Hello, my name is Amanda Jogia, the CEO of Prime Alpha, an online ecosystem bringing together alternative opportunities and their investors. With us today is Nate Klein. Nate is a principal founder and the chief investment officer of One Wall Communities, where he drives investment strategy and acquisitions. One Wall is a vertically integrated real estate firm focused on transit and lifestyle-oriented workforce apartment housing in the Northeast Mid-Atlantic. Nate identified the unbridgeable supply-demand imbalance for market-rate apartments that are affordable to the average worker, and One Wall has invested solely in this niche since 2013. So welcome, Nate. Thank you for joining us today. Thanks for having me. It's great to be here. So let's just jump in and, and talk about your career journey. Sure. So, you know, I was probably that, uh, you know, unusual senior in high school who loved AP economics class, started watching CNBC and reading finance books and instantly decided that I was going to be an investment banker at the age of 17. You know, quickly decided that I was going to double major in finance and economics before I even arrived on campus at Penn State where I went to college. I, as a freshman, co-founded an investment club that became a really successful student-managed investment fund, ultimately interned at GE Capital while I was a student, interned at Merrill Lynch in the M&A department, investment banking in New York, which of course was exactly what I wanted to do. So I took my full-time offer to go back and spent a couple years there before joining Fortress to do private equity for them. I eventually left started my own consulting company that evolved into both consulting in sort of a private equity M&A and, and other strategic business context, as well as also traveling around the country and the world to ultimately teach uh, finance uh, training classes. So teaching other people how to be investment bankers and private equity professionals um, at the same time that I was still offering consulting services. So wanted to keep busy. And it was actually through my teaching that I ended up meeting a uh, my current partners through a common acquaintance that was actually in one of my classes. And ultimately, after we all got together, hit it off and, and eventually, you know, built one wall essentially from the ground up over the course of the last 10 plus years. So, so what was that pivotal point where you said, you know, this is what I want to do and why you want to do it? One wall being a lifestyle oriented workforce apartment provider. Yeah, so I, that was one of the things I wasn't thinking about way back in, in high school. But uh, when, um, when I was in private equity, you know, thinking back around, you know, early 2008, started to see the economy unraveling. And I was, you know, primarily focused on making investments, new investments. And I didn't want to deal with the impending meltdown of the existing investments that we already made and be sitting around, you know, not able to go out and, and, and do deals, which is what I was accustomed to doing for years. And I also wanted a quicker path to autonomy than I felt that I could have in that, in that role. It was a very sort of regimented long slog to get to the top of the firm that I was working at. And I was, you know, intentionally hoping to, to start my own private equity or hedge fund uh, down the road. So I started interviewing at hedge funds. I actually left my position in private equity, went away on a ski trip thought that I was going to be starting to work at a new fund in a couple of months. That fund never launched. Uh, I but essentially came you know, to a situation where the job market had completely evaporated because everything had gone downhill very quickly after that you know, sort of early and mid-2008 timeframe. 
and attempted to launch my own hedge funds, which was kind of my first pivot into my doing my own thing. And the anchor investor I was hoping to be working with backed out. So fundraising was a disaster. And then I said, okay, well, what can I do where I don't have to fundraise? And, and that was consulting and, and using my existing skills from the last several years uh, to, to, you know, stay close to the business, stay in finance, do, you know, what I wanted to do, but um, figure out how I could get back into the private equity world at some point down the road. And I guess fortunately or unfortunately, I, I was able to see all the ups and downs of the economic cycles in a very compressed amount of time, having, you know, really only at that point about five years of work experience, but doing a tremendous amount of work in that short amount of time and having a lot of different industry perspectives really allowed me to, I think, get wise beyond my years. And so by the time, you know, the crisis was starting to, to peter out a little bit uh, and we were laying the groundwork for, for one wall, you know, right after the financial crisis, I, I felt I was 100% ready for that, that move at that point. I mean, one wall is such an interesting opportunity because of you guys service such a unique need in the, in the market, and then also providing a really unique opportunity for investors. Can you touch on those two points? Yeah, sure. So, you know, naturally, based on the timing of when we started, there was this sort of economic distress cycle that was deep and short, and it was quickly turning into a new growth cycle for all, all sorts of real estate assets. Um, we didn't want to be one of those firms that said we were going to pick and choose you know, the flavor of the day, we wanted to be focused on at least, you know, one vertical or a couple verticals that we felt had the longest runway for growth and could be, you know, managed with very durable business models and, and had essentially unbreakable trends such, such as demographics. And, and you allude to that a little bit in your, in your question where, you know, we, we saw sort of five areas that we thought were primed for opportunity. One of those was senior housing, another one was student housing, the multifamily workforce space that we ultimately focused on, industrial and data centers. And those last two, we were very early on the call, but had no experience in either sector and didn't think we could convince anybody that, that we would be the experts in something that we had no experience in. So collectively, my partners and I started working on some sort of one-off development opportunities in both the senior and student housing spaces. But at the same time, the, the obvious demographic trend on the senior side and the obvious stability trend on the student side, since student housing really had performed the best during the, the recession and prior recessions, um, were, were obvious to other people in the market as well. And so we saw major institutions, REITs, private equity firms, and others really piling into those sectors. We couldn't compete on a cost of capital standpoint against them as far as you know what we knew our potential equity investor base to be at that time and started you know sort of looked at multifamily as the place where we could find enough yield to satisfy our investor audience but also it fit the boxes that we wanted to uh, check in terms of trends that were, were unbreakable and so there was a, a clear supply demand imbalance for workforce housing obvious affordability constraints. I've been living in New York City for a long time and seeing how, you know, people and, and development and housing had shifted further and further away from, from the job locations that people had just simply because of affordability and, and trying to find the next, you know, hot spot. Um, and, and 
from a housing perspective also, you know, thinking about replacement cost and where we could purchase assets for relative to replacement cost and relative to home prices. Home price inflation has outpaced the economy for a long time. It's outpaced income growth for a long time. And so it just has, has become harder and harder for people to afford homes, which translates into a longer period of time living in apartments. But there hasn't been apartment development to, to supply that additional demand and that change in demand. And on top of that, when you looked at the demographics and the age of uh, the population, uh, there were basically two bubbles on that chart. One is the older age people and the, and the younger age people. And so those uh, cohorts were very predisposed to renting as opposed to owning, you know, the, the empty nesters selling their home uh, and, the, and the younger people creating households for the first time. And, and then because those younger people were waiting longer and longer to get married because birth rates have gotten so low, uh, they would be living in one-bedroom apartments for the foreseeable future, not going out to the suburbs and buying homes. And so there was just this dramatic mismatch between what the population demographic was demanding and what was actually available in the marketplace and what had been developed in the last couple of decades. It's so compelling and such a need. Um, and in terms of how you help your investors, all those five things that you talked about, super interesting, super compelling, but why, why this one and why is it so compelling for your investors? Yeah, so I think in, in simple terms, you know, we're, we're focused on a, on a middle market opportunity set that, you know, gives our investors access to essentially institutional quality multifamily real estate deals, but at a better return. Um, our deals and our fund investments are very conservatively underwritten. Um, we're managing them professionally. We're a vertically integrated firm that has you know, tremendous infrastructure backing it and, and providing for um, very certain uh, performance metrics. Uh, we've you know, consistently been able to, to deliver high risk adjusted returns and, and for clients or, or investors that are looking to, to fill that box of alternative equity or fixed in income allocation that you know, provides them with current cash flow and, and very predictable returns on the back end as well, you know, this is a, a, a perfect opportunity to, to, to fit that box. Um, additionally, we're always striving to be a resource to the investors, just independent of their investments with us, right? Uh, it, you know, even if you've invested with me 10 times or you've never invested with me, I'm going to be here to give you, you know, market commentary. Um, we're always available to answer calls, questions, whatever, whatever the case may be. We just want to be a resource and, and uh, be helpful to people. Yeah, I, I, I'm, I'm with you on that. So since starting your firm, how have you developed or pivoted your thesis or business and why? You know, I think there was so much thought that went into what we were doing and the fact that other, so many other people and sponsors, investors and the like have piled into our thesis, it's only sort of supported and strengthened what, what we're doing. So we really haven't pivoted. If, if anything, we just, you know, continue to remain laser focused on what we do and, and and especially focused on how do we differentiate ourselves because we're now in a more competitive environment than we were, you know, seven, eight, nine years ago when this all started. Um, you know, that sort of manifests itself, I think, through our efforts to be better at identifying the markets that we want to be in, evaluating the individual deals and, and looking at literally dozens and dozens of deals until we invest in the right ones. You know, just in this year to date, we, we've underwritten more than 100 deals and closed two. And, and so, by taking that 
very regimented approach to applying our, our metrics and our processes. Uh, we find the best deals and then we asset manage them as well or better than, than anybody else. Um, to that point, we're constantly striving to, to utilize better technology and better processes to continue staying ahead as well. And then on the business side, the only thing that, that we've really done that's sort of in the process right now is, is a rebranding to one wall communities. So we've historically operated with two buckets. One was our investor facing one wall partners brand name and the other was one wall management, uh, which was the you know, brand name that you would see if you were a resident living in one of our properties. And you know, what we've seen over, over time is that there was confusion in the market from that effort and really the, the values and the underlying goals for both are, are the same, meaning that, you know, we can't create value for our investors if we're not also providing a quality and uh, attractive place to live for our residents. So we've always had this intent of, of making our apartment complexes, quote unquote, happy communities. And, you know, rather than property managers, we have community managers. And, you know, in keeping with that, that mindset and that logic, the idea of, you know, presenting ourselves to the world as a unified one wall community is very inclusive and, and you know, uh, presents that, that solid, um, you know, combined force to, to the market. Thank you for that. I mean, I think it's so important that, that firms are built on values and, and you have a clear path of why you do what you do for both the community and for investors. So thank you for that. This is my uh, fun question that I always like to ask, which is, what do you think is your superpower? Well, I'd certainly love to be able to time travel, um, at, at least if I could do so without tripping up the paradox where I become unborn. You know, the personally, I've, all, I've always been fascinated by history and, and world cultures. I've traveled to, to over 50 countries, and, and, and a lot of that's been driven by just, just seeing, you know, and imagining what, what times were like in, in different regions and, and countries around the world and, and how cultures have, have evolved over time. You know, who wouldn't want to be a fly on the wall while civilization was evolving, right? Uh, you know, strategically, in terms of our business, I, I think where that intersects is that I, I put a tremendous amount of time and effort into understanding the historical context and trends in the markets where, where we operate. And, you know, we started our, our business focused on a single county in northern New Jersey, which was the, uh, the location of Newark, New Jersey, which is in Essex County. And what a lot of people didn't realize at the time that we were investing there that was part of our story about why this was such an attractive place is that if you if you turn back the clock 100 or so years there was actually you know as much or more of a booming economy there than there was in New York City and the infrastructure that was built at the time to support that economy never disappeared but through you know unfortunate events historically in in the middle of the century um, led to you know, kind of a decline for a number of decades in that area, but all of the assets and infrastructure were still there to, to really be attractive in the context of waves of people moving, you know, to places that were affordable and then recognizing where the infrastructure was and where the high income demographics were surrounding an area that had so much of an opportunity. And, you know, people that wouldn't have considered the historical context might not have considered that there was a way for that market to get back to where it was historically 
And meanwhile, you know, we were able to invest in assets that were dramatically undervalued and saw the values of those assets triple in essentially five years. And, you know, at that same time, you know, looking back historically, we're also always looking forward. And, and I, I try to apply as long dated of a crystal ball as possible in thinking about and making sure that we're focused on the future events that are going to optimize our investments. And that sort of dovetails back to the comments I made earlier around the, some of the demographic trends and the tailwinds that we identify early on to see not not what's the impact today going to have on the investment next year or three years from now, but what is the you know, unbreakable trend that's going to influence and impact our investments for the next 10 years or the next 20 years or the next 30 years. Um, because if you're not you know, early enough to the game, you're gonna miss out on, on some of the upside. And, and from our perspective, we also don't make investments with a short-sighted approach, meaning you know, it, it could be that there's an amazing deal that's generating a huge IRR and a three-year hold, but I'm unlikely to buy that asset if I don't also think that I would want to own it in 10 years if things didn't go right over the next three years. Really, I think, I think we would love to follow up with you on a continuation podcast and talking about those trends as well in, the, in workforce housing. Thank you, Nate. Thank you for your time today and your insight. Yeah, absolutely. I'd, I'd be happy to come back and, and would love to talk about that some more. So really appreciate the time and uh, it was great talking with you today.